All right. I guess since you've been standing a while, we'll let you sit down. Amen. Man, we, we love you guys. We're excited about, uh, as a pastor, I'm excited when July gets away and everybody gets off of vacations. And uh, I was looking on Facebook yesterday and I said, well, I was looking at all the posts. I said, well, I know they won't be at church. They won't be at church. They won't be at church. I saw Andy and Katrina's at the beach at their Panama City annual uh, ministry trip. <laughs> Hey, man, and it's great. We love people to be able to do that. And uh, But as a pastor, I love when all that goes away, kids get back in school, and maybe we get back to a more full house. Amen. we got some exciting things coming up. And, man, you know, these last two years have been real a struggle, not only individually, but uh, for every church everywhere with the COVID and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, man, I've been itching to get back, you know, back to uh, a normal a church life. So we've got some wonderful, exciting things coming up uh, beginning in September. Now, we're almost, we're about to be in August here in a few days, but beginning in September, the first Wednesday night of every month, we want all you guys to come to the church. And uh, we're going to do, we want you to come at 630. Uh, you don't have to, but if you want to, we're going to feed you a meal. How about that? It's going to be filet mignon. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> no, no, no. But we're going we're gonna to have a meal uh, back in the fellowship hall that's right behind me here. And from 6.30 to 7, if you can pop in there and we'll have a meal together uh, as a church family. And then at 7, around 7, we're going to all come in here. And then I want to be able to teach you things in the Bible. Uh, amen. And uh, so I won't be, you know, my target, I won't be like, you know, everything's grace. You know that. Everything's grace. But I want to be able to teach you. Uh, things and so we're going to we'll we'll be doing hope that don't sound boring to you and I promise you it won't be we're going to do bible study and uh and we're you know and so we won't we're not going to extend it and keep you long if we can you know depending on how fast y'all eat but if you can eat in that 30 minutes and get here on time and we can get that done then uh then we'll come in here at seven and uh get you out of here at eight o'clock and uh how's that sound and, uh, and have some time together as a church family. Uh, you that's been part of Grace Point for a long time uh, know that we, we have and kind of veered away from that, but we're going to be keeping uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, we're going to meet at least three nights this week, this year. Uh, if you don't know what that is, just please come. The Sunday that it begins, and I forget what Sunday that is, I think it's October the 9th, I could be wrong, but that's a feast, and, and, and when I say feast, I'm not talking about turkey dinner kind of. The word feast in the Bible means appointed time. And uh, I hope that don't sound weird to you, and you'll, you'll understand if you'll come and be part of that, but it is a great a time together, and it's not something that we come up with. It's God's calendar. And believe it or not, God really does have a calendar. He's always had one that he works off of. It's not our Gregorian calendar that we all use for our everyday lives, but God still has a calendar. And, uh, and so it's just really neat to get together and observe that time uh, by, by coming together. And uh, so we've always had wonderful times. I've seen amazing, God do amazing things uh, during that time. And so we'll, we'll meet that Sunday morning and we'll, we'll teach on it like we do every year with all the, uh, the seven feasts. Uh, and then I'm dedicating this uh, one to the Lord, but secondly, to uh, Marta Hardy, and uh, <laughs> she's she's been my inspiration to, to do that again. You know, sometimes as a pastor, you can go, man, you know, it's hard to have stuff, you know, nobody comes, or people, you know, they got their own deal. I told her a while ago, if it's just me and you, Marta, we're going to meet, hallelujah, and, uh, but I, I love that time. It's something that, that, that I saw many, many years ago, been doing it for, Lord, I don't know, what, 20 plus years or whatever, and uh, but we're excited about that. Uh, I don't have the dates on this, but we're going to have something especially coming up right here in the fall, September, October. It'll be just a Saturday morning thing for you ladies. We love you ladies. And I got a great couple that I've known. I've, been, I've known them for, I don't know, probably almost 30 years. Uh, but uh, Eddie and Beth Taylor. And uh, so Beth is a, just a wonderful speaker. 
And so we're going to do something for you ladies on a Saturday morning. It won't be long. It's just two hours. We'll start at 10, uh, get you out of here at 12, and because uh, that'll be about as long as your husband can babysit the kids for you. And so, <laughs> but we'll have a Saturday morning meeting especially for you guys, and uh, that'll be coming up, and then Eddie's going to stay over with us. Uh, he'll be coming, of course, with her. And then sometimes on Sundays, they'll even have tag team preach. I don't care what they do because Eddie's a great guy. I've known him a long, long time. And he's ministered here before. You may not remember, but he's just a great, very prophetic uh, young man. And, uh, but we're excited about just a lot of stuff that's going to be going on. And the other thing, and i got to get to preaching here. I'm using up all my time. But I want you to invite somebody to church. I mean, that's how people come to church. Uh, and that's statistically, nobody comes because a stranger come up to their door and handed a track. I'm not saying that's wrong. Nobody comes for any other main reason other than somebody invited them. And that's how most people will come. It will break that barrier and they'll come. Now, with all this social media stuff, we've got no excuse not to invite somebody because you ain't even got to look them in the eye. Send them the link to the Grace Point uh, Facebook page. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff there. Uh, send them a link to my page. Now, my name is not Dale, D-A-L-E. I'm not Dale. I'm Dale. Difference. Uh, farmer in the Dale. No. It's, uh, <laughs> but D-E-L-L Young, Y-O-U-N-G dot net. And all these things that we teach about grace, if you'll go back in the archives, you'll see just about all those questions that people hit, hit you with or hit, have hit me with, there'll be an answer to them somewhere in, that, in those uh, things. So that's a resource for you. It's available to you. And, of course, uh, you know, we just recommend people to, to get uh, my book. And uh, not because of book sales, but it's available on Amazon. You can download it to Kindle. Uh, you can uh, buy one in the lobby. If you, don't, if you want one and you don't have the, what it, I don't even know, what, it, what, what are they? 20? So if you don't have $20, tell them I said to give it to you, and they will. Okay? I mean, I'm serious. We just want you to have that message. And I can't tell you how many people all over have said that has changed their view of God. And uh, it's, it's just my journey. It's what, you know, and I've been a pastor now for 34 years. I've, I, you know, I've known God uh, since I was 12 years old, but not really know, knew him. And, and, uh, and so, you know, uh, in a way, I, you know, there's just a, in other words, the way that God was presented to me, when I first got in church, or whatever you want to call uh, that, I mean, I, I don't believe in that God. So in, in regard to that, I don't believe in that God. The God that they presented to me, I do not believe in him, uh, not their version, because that's not who he is. Now, my thing is I don't want you to have to take as long as it took me to come to the revelation of how good God really is, because he's far better than I was ever told, and he's not guilty of all the things he's been charged and accused of. And, uh, and so e even today, um, you know, that's what I want to talk to you about and really just kind of connect up where we left off last Sunday. And I got to do this quickly because my time's getting away. But I want you guys, I want this house to be family. Now, I want to tell you what's a challenge, and this is more challenging for us. Now, I'm just being real with you here. This is more challenging for Grace Point, and I love it. But some people is not going to come to Grace Point because we're too diverse. And I don't mean that ugly. I, I don't mean that as a derogatory cut to any other church or organization. I don't. But I'm simply saying, you know, like somebody asked me last Sunday, I put up two slides. I put up a slide, and we're going to use that one again. But I put up a slide of, that depicts, off, and I just got it off of Google, that shows how the church view is of what happened in the Garden of Eden. That God got angry, you know, in that, and it was a picture of God, like with a demonic looking, you know, won't kill you. And he's throwing them out of the garden. Like Adam and Eve screwed up. They sinned. He kicked them out. That's not what happened at all. And somebody at lunch, they said, did you, did you uh, pick that specifically? And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, Adam and Eve were clearly African-American people in the slide. And I said, what? They said, yeah, they were African-American, uh, Adam and Eve. I, they, they said, I figured you chose that on purpose. I said, I never saw it. That's how blind I am to all that. I said, we don't know what color they would. Could have been black. You don't, you don't know. It, see, that's, 
But some people are just keyed in on stuff. I don't mean that. See, you know, but that, that's how blind I am. I didn't even notice that. I'm trying to get the message of that God didn't kick you out out of anger. The Bible said that they, what they were put out, lest, lest they live in that fallen condition forever. God said, lest they extend their hand to the tree of life and live in this fallen condition forever. God said, I'm not going to allow my creation to live eternally in some kind of fallen state. I won't have it. I love them too much. God has never done anything to be punitive or, or to, to be vindictive out of revenge. That's wrong. If God's involved in it, there is redemptive purpose in it. And so if you read the Bible in Genesis 3, you'll find that the Lord did put them out of the garden, put angels there to keep the way back to, it says, the tree of life. And the tree of life, if you can receive, I mean, it's a person. His name's Jesus. And, and so, you know, today I'm talking about the big lie. And what the big lie is, that somehow we're separated from God and we start from that position of separation from God. In other words, man sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and because we're all in Adam, then we have all sinned. That's what the Bible teaches. And, and, uh, and so that we start from that. In other words, God kicked them out. God separated from them. You hear all this stuff, God's too holy. He can't even look at sin. And God's holy, you're unholy. And he don't really want you anyway, but, you know, and so, you know, we're separated from God. And if you, you know, so that, that slide, if you'll put it up, that this shows that. And if you go and look up anything on Christianity, you, you're going to see a slide that shows this gap, this huge gap, this separation between man and God. Are y'all working on it? Okay, it don't matter. But you know the one I put up last Sunday. And they always say you got, you got God over here, you got this huge gap, and you got man. Okay, there you go. And so that's how, that's how most Christianity starts from that position, that God has separated himself from you or you're separated from God because of your sin, and God can't understand look at you, and he's angry with you. And, you, you know. and so th this is where the birthplace of religion comes from. In other words, if we're really separated from God or if God has separated himself from us, then we have to do something to get back to God, and that's where man births religion. And then it's just up to what man's doing it to come up with the rules and regulations and tell you the steps how to get there. And so then you can have a, you know, this way and that way, and, you know, you can have a Catholic way or the Mormon way, or you can have a Jehovah Witness way, or you can have a Pentecostal way, Baptist way, Methodist way. You can have all these different ways to get yourself back to God, and you have to meet all the rules. There's some say you got to be baptized by a certain thing. There's some that would say to us, we baptize people. We immerse them in water. We believe in that. We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And some, they, they, there's churches right here in this town that says if you get baptized like that, you're going straight to hell when you die. Number one, because you're not part of our organization. Number two, because we didn't, the right person didn't baptize you. And number three, they didn't say the right words over you when they baptized you. But you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus and don't say anything else. It's almost like a denial of the Trinity. <clears throat> it's just, you know, so you got all these rules. But that's where religion comes from. This is, they give you, this is the step, this is what you must do to get right with God. Well, man could never get right with God, and so that's why God came to us. We didn't go to heaven, we didn't talk God in it. Let me tell you something about God. God never has to be coerced into forgiving you. And this is the big key with grace, and this is the thing that blew my mind when I saw it, is that God, every church I know of just about will, will admit to and agree with that God unconditionally loves you, everybody. They'll say God loves everybody, right? I mean, he's heard all your life. God loves unconditionally, okay? I don't know how we missed it, but if God loves unconditionally because God is love, he didn't have love, he is love. God is love. That's what the Bible says. God is love. So if he loves unconditionally, then doesn't it make sense that he would also have to forgive unconditionally? Because the Bible says that love keeps no record of wrong done. Listen, keeps no record. So if God loves unconditionally, then that would also mean that he has to already have been forgive, forgiven the person, us, unconditionally. How can God love unconditionally and yet hold unforgiveness in his heart against you until you do the right steps? That's religion. Let me tell you something. God's forgiveness preceded your repentance. And get the word repentance right. Repentance don't mean laying up here telling God what a piece of you are and please 
forgive me, I'm a worm, I'm a piece of dirt. Come on, y'all. I make myself nervous sometimes that I don't catch them words for they. But I don't like religion, man. Listen. God forgives, and, and, and that's not my point there. I got to get to my point. But God has forgiven us. Why? Because Jesus came, and John the Baptist at his baptism, served the baptized Jesus, said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Takes it away. That means removes it. Not your sin, you know, my sin, the sin of the world, the, all the sin of the world, which includes mine and yours. Now, you have to decide whether you're going to believe the Bible or not. Did Jesus take away the sin of the world, or did he not? Okay, if he did, then that includes your sins and the ones you ain't even done yet. The other thing that the church don't know, sin is not a verb. Primarily, it is a noun, and we don't even know that. A, a noun is a person, place, or thing. We see sin as an, something we did. I did this, therefore I sinned. No. You, you, sin is much deeper. Much, most of us see sin as some legal thing. In other words, we, we broke a rule. We broke a ten, one of the Ten Commandments. Or There's actually 430 commandments of God in the Old Covenant. But we broke one of the commandments, therefore we sinned. And, and, and we make it a sterile legal thing. Uh, you know, and, and that's not what sin is at all. The Bible says this, Jesus said in John 17, he says, this is eternal life that they might know you, Father. This is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing the Father. Eternal life is not going to heaven and getting you a mansion. You don't believe in that? I ain't got time to teach that one today. But heaven is not a distant, far planet out there in the galaxy somewhere. If you would just simply read the Bible that you say you have in your lap, Read the last few chapters of Revelation, and heaven's coming here. Because heaven is where God is, and God's coming here. And it's a physical place. There's a city called the New Jerusalem, 1,500 miles square. You know, it's all there. You, you, you ain't going nowhere. This, you know, you, I'm going to you there. Now, it's going to be renovated, and it's going to be in a lot better state and condition that this is in. But you, you're, you're where you're going to be. Welcome. You're here. But religion has taught you otherwise. But you, you don't have to coerce God to forgive you. When Jesus came, he came to shed his blood to, to remove sin. That's why, and I've told you this, and you may get weary of saying it, but I have to say it because there's new people here today. It's not hurting. So where's that at in the Bible? When they lowered the, they tore the roof off at one time, Jesus preaching in this house, is so crowded, they tore the roof off, lowered a paralyzed man down. To the, obviously, they're bringing him to be healed. They lowered a guy on the cot through the ceiling. Jesus stops preaching. You've got to stop preaching if somebody tears a hole in the roof, you know. So he stops preaching, and he looks at this man. This man ain't opened his mouth. And Jesus looks at him and says, man, your sins are, not will be, are forgiven you. Double pronouns. This man ain't said anything. And Jesus says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. The man probably thought that the reason he was on the cot is because he'd done wrong, done sin. We don't know. But that, that keeps a lot of people paralyzed, not only physically but emotionally, because they, they somehow feel like they deserve what they're going through because they've done wrong. God's paying them back. He, they're reaping what they say, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's just one. There's plenty. A woman caught in an act of adultery in John 8. He doesn't know her mouth. Jesus declares that she is forgiven. She's, where's your condemners? I have none, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. No condemnation here. Now, he did say, go and sin no more. But the only reason he told her that, the only power that a person ever has to go and sin no more, and the reason God don't want you to sin is not because you're breaking a rule and he's trying to test you. It's because sin hurts. The wages of sin is death. It brings hurt to people. No more than I'd want my grandbabies to stick their hand in a fan. So the rule would be, don't put your fingers in the fan. Why, are you trying to just establish something? No, I'm trying, I don't want them hurt. Because that one sticking your finger in the fan is going to hurt them not only for that moment, for a long time to come. And it's going to hurt me because I love them. That's, that's God. It, 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 you know, so, so God, you know, 
People in the Bible, when they get New Testament, when they get saved, the word sin's never mentioned. And I know you know this, most of you do. But in Romans 10, every church I know of will agree, Romans chapter 10 tells people how to be saved. In the whole chapter of Romans 10, it don't mention the word sin at all. Now, how is it that if you're telling people how to get saved, you don't even mention sin? What does the average church do when somebody comes up and they want to get saved? The first thing they focus on, the first thing they inject them with is the word sin. They are sin conscious, not sun conscious. The Bible says if the sacrifice works in Hebrews that you'll, you'll have no more consciousness of sin. You won't live your life as sin conscious. Trying to beat sin by focusing on sin is like trying to overcome eating sweets staring at chocolate cake. And by the way, Lior, that was an awesome chocolate cake you fixed yesterday. I just had to say that I took a piece, Jill brought some home, and it about make you speak in tongues to eat that chocolate <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Um, it, it was just awesome. And uh, anyway, so I derailed myself. Did the grandbabies leave me any, or it's all gone? Man, they eat a lot of it then. I was hoping for another piece with a glass of milk sometime today. But anyway, okay. <laughs> Phil's going to take care of me. Amen. Uh, I do want to say, Tim, we're so glad you're here, your family, son. Tim, that's Leor's son. We had his wife that just passed away, her uh, celebration of life service yesterday afternoon. They've been married over 40 years, and uh, she lost a battle to uh, two horrible diseases. And uh, But, man, we thank you for being here today, and, and I, I want our church to continue to pray for Tim, uh, especially his wife Angie, uh, is with the Lord. We know where she is. And uh, Philip, we love you. Thank you for being here, and, and Lior and all you guys. So, Grace Point, let's continue to pray for this, the cult family, and, and just we love you. Thank you for being here. Um, all through the Bible, we see, like the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, you've heard this and I'll move on, but this Philippian jailer, he don't know nothing about Jesus, nothing. He's fist to commit suicide because he thinks the prisoners have escaped and the king's going to do, he would kill him slowly <laughs> and painfully for allowing the prisoners to escape. So he's just going to thrust himself through, the Bible says, with a sword and end it quickly. And it was dark, and Paul said, do yourself no harm. This is in the Bible. Do yourself no harm, for we're all still here. In other words, we didn't escape. It was a powerful demonstration of, of the power of God to free these, his apostles. And then when that man experiences the power of God, he looks at this apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament epistles, and he says to him, what must I do to be saved? The answer that he got back is different than what most of the church gives you. They'll tell you this, and I don't mean this from a smarty pants position. I don't mean this from an arrogant position. I don't mean this from a mean position. I just mean it from a biblical, correct position. Most of the church says, bow your head, close your eyes, confess your sins, and they start with sin, and then they'll tell you to say a sinner's prayer, which ain't in the Bible, and, 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 and all that stuff. It's not in there. All that great apostle said to this man about how to be saved is believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved and your whole household. That was it. One word, believe. That's how simple it is. And the church has now over several centuries made it so complicated and so convoluted and so religious and no wonder people are so confused and don't even, and just say, man, I don't even believe in all that mess. And I agree with you. I don't believe in that mess either. I believe in what God says. It's just that easy. When you put your faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for your righteousness, for your, your, your I mean, it's done. Most of the church sees forgiveness as something God will do and can do if you meet the conditions. But they don't believe it's something that he has done. There's only one verse in the entirety of the New Testament that ever seems to allude to the fact that confession proceeds forgiveness. And that is not talking to Christians at all. That is talking to Gnostics who did not believe that sin in a noun form even existed. And that's why the Bible says if anybody says that there is no sin, no such thing as sin, then you make God out a liar because God sent his son to become sin that you might be saved. But he said if they'll confess their sins, 
God is faithful and just to forgive them of all sin now and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Once a person is saved, they are never unrighteous ever again because righteousness is a gift. And that's what the Bible teaches in Romans. So Christians don't fluctuate back into righteous, unrighteous, you know, none of that. That's all religion. And so he's clearly not talking to believers, but yet believers will trot that out. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. They'll trot that out as their proof verse that preachers like me are wrong, and this is you got to confess your sins, and if you do and you're sincere, then God will forgive you. Well, then why did I, when I did sin as a Christian, I would go to God, I used to believe all that, and I'd say, Father, I'm sorry I sinned, I'm sorry I did that, I don't want to be that guy, please forgive me. And depending on what I considered the grievance of that sin, I would, I, I would pray that. I didn't feel much better after I said it, and I would pray it again, and I would pray it again, and I'd pray it 10 times, and I'd pray it 20 times, and I may pray it the next day, in the next three days, or the next five days. If I believe God forgive me when I prayed it one time, why didn't I do one time and be done with it? And I never really knew exactly when the forgiveness you know, went into force, when my account was cleared. The Bible says over and over in the New Testament that the New Testament... The, the, the message of grace, God said, I will keep, I will remember your sins no more forever. Over and over it says that. I don't know how we figured it. Mean, it's just not in the Bible. All right, now in, in Ephesians, I guess I should read something to add the Bible to make this an official meeting. <clears throat> uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, not will someday, who has, past tense, blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? All of them. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. All of our blessings, all of them are in where? They're in Christ. Okay? Now, just as he chose us, everybody say he chose me. <clears throat> when did he choose you? When you decided to believe, when you decided to get saved, when you decided to go to church. When you... No, he chose you before the foundation of the world. That's before there was a Genesis chapter 1. That was before there was a planet called Earth. That's before there was a person called Adam or Eve. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will and to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us, look at that word, accepted in the beloved. Who is the beloved? That's Jesus. All right, God has made us accepted. Now, now what I want you to understand is that, that this word, and I don't know if this stuff is cool to you or not, I hope it is, but there's, you know, the New Testament for us, translated in English, comes from a Greek language. All right? And so in the entirety of the New Testament, all the way from Matthew to the end of Revelation, there is a Greek word that is only used two times in the whole New Testament. And it is this word. It is translated one time because it is said by Gabriel to a young Jewish girl named Mary. And she's just been told, she, as this angel walks in, he, he said, Blessed art thou, for thou art highly favored of the Lord. So the words translated in English, highly favored, is this same Greek word. And right here is translated accepted. It's the exact same word. Now, most people can readily say, yes, Mary is highly favored. But they have a hard time swallowing that they are just as highly favored as Mary. You mean as, as Mother Mary? Yeah, you're just as favored as she is. I'm sorry, there's no need to pray to her. You need to pray to Jesus. Because she had to be born again just like you, just like me. Now, listen to me. You are highly favored. You've been accepted. And listen to me. So God, before the foundation of the world, he said, this, he said, this is my agenda. I'm going to adopt sons and daughters in my son, Christ. Before the foundation of the world. So that's before Adam and Eve did their mess. Right? Now, you've got to get that to understand, to see the gospel through the proper lens. Because this is what Christianity primarily has done. We have made the fall of man. When I say the fall, I'm talking about the sin in the garden. We've made that the starting point. And that we think that that set God's agenda and that that's how and, how and why that God relates to us is because of the fall. Jesus Christ is not a footnote to the fall of Adam. And Jesus Christ is not plan B. God has never had a plan B, ever. 
God did not turn around to make a sandwich. Adam and Eve sinned, and he turned back around and go, ooh, I got to come up with something to figure this out. God's agenda for you and me has always been that we would be adopted as sons and daughters and, and, and come in through Jesus Christ. Now, what the fall does is now God's agenda is still on force and still on course. But what the fall did do is God's agenda is still there. The, 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 the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden did not set God's agenda. God's agenda was before the foundation of the world. I want you to see that. God's always had his purpose for you is to be adopted into his family. In Christ Jesus, to be sons and daughters of God. Now, what the fall did is it, God's still going to do it but it's going to make it much more bloody and painful and hard. But he's going to stay on course with his agenda. You see that? God's, God's going to do it. Now what happens in our lives, see, when Adam and Eve sinned, here's God walking with them every day, cool of the evening. Here God comes, fellowship, loves them, communes with them. He's built a beautiful place called paradise for them. Uh, it, it, it's wonderful. Every need they have is met. Uh, they got husband and wife together. I mean, they're just, it's, it's awesome. And they are covered by the glory of God. It's almost like a light suit, if you will. And Psalms teaches us that. And they're covered and they're enjoying fellowship and communion with God. And, and they don't fear God. They love God. They know God loves them. And all of a sudden, then they believe the lying of the enemy, the serpent. And he says, you've got to do something to, to be like God. They were already created in the image and likeness of God. And, but he, he lies to them and says, you've got to do something. You, you, you're not accepted. You're not just like you should be. You need to do this right here. You need to eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They believe the lie. When you believe a lie, you empower the liar. They believe the lie. And the Bible says through Adam's disobedience, sin entered in. And through sin, it opened the door for death. The Bible calls death an enemy. It said the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. God never intended us to die. God's about life. He's not about death. And so... So they sin, and now they're hiding from this God. They're hiding out of fear. First time the word fear is in the Bible. And so God comes. just And so see, the church tells you that God's so holy, he can't look at sinners, he don't fool with them, and once you sin, he separates. All that is a lie. Because they sin, right or wrong. Did they sin? Okay. Did God still come? Come right there at the same time. Walk with them just like he comes in the garden, right? So that blows all that lie away. God, God has never, you've never been separated from God, ever. God has always been with you. He's always been for you. Well, I don't even go to church. I don't know. It don't matter. It don't matter. You've never been separated from God. God's always been there. And he don't, he don't avoid your mess. He's right there with you. So Adam and Eve sin, here comes God. God's like, Adam, where are you? And he wasn't like saying, I'm, I can't find you, buddy. <laughs> he was saying, Adam, look where you are. Why, why are you hiding from me? I was afraid of you. I was, like, I was naked. Listen, listen, don't miss this. Who, God says to Adam, who told you you were naked? Now, something I haven't, I want you to get this. Adam and Eve, the, the serpent, the, the devil, he lied to them about God. And they believed it. And, 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 and so they call it the fall. So here comes the fall, you know. All right, but then Satan don't stop talking to people. And in fact, after you have screwed up, sinned, whatever, then that, he talks, he still keeps talking. And so, and God's implying, God's showing us that. God, why would God say to them, who told you you were naked if they hadn't been told they were naked? Who told you that you're not acceptable? Who told you? that God don't love you? Who told you that you are no value? Who told you that you, and you just, we can go all day on that. But we've all heard those whispers, those voices. And now what happens to Adam and Eve? How in the world, did, did their fall into sin somehow change the character and nature of God? No. God's still right there. He's faithful. He's right there. He loves them. God didn't say, ask me to forgive. None of that. God's there and really, you know, Adam, he does what we all do. All the hell that goes on in our life, we blame God for it. Because we say he's powerful. He can ultimately stop all this. You don't even understand the thing. You're a free will agent. You, God's not, if God wanted robots, he would have made them. But he says, God says, Adam, have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat? God didn't say today you eat of the tree, I'm going to kill you. That's the way church teaches it. 
God said in the day that you choose this instead of life, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're doing it. God said, did you eat of the treat I told you not to eat of? He said, yeah, Lord, but it, it, was, it was your fault. It, it don't read like that, but it reads like that. He said, the woman you gave me, if you'd have just given me a better wife, I wouldn't be in this hell right here that I'm in. You, you brought me a faulty woman, God. The woman that you gave me, she picked the fruit and she gave it to me and I ate it. It's really your fault because you didn't give me the right wife. And then God looks at the wife. Eve, darling, did you do that? Well, it wasn't my fault. The devil made me do it. That serpent, he said, Everybody blaming everybody. Then God turns to the snake. Now they say, even scientifically, that snakes walked upright at one point. The Bible agrees with that, and they had to because of what God's about to say. He looks at the snake. I do really wish they still had legs and walked upright so I could see them coming a long ways off. I'd be, look at there, here comes a rattlesnake. Hand me my shotgun. I mean, instead of me stepping over a log and stepping on him, you know what I'm saying? But so God looks at the serpent and says, what is this, you know, you've done? And, and, uh, and, and so what, God says, you are, you are cursed to the ground. Well, if you're already on the ground, you know, it's like, nan, nan, what, you know, okay. You know. He wasn't on the ground. God said, now you're going to go on the ground and eat dust because you, because you yielded yourself to the enemy to be used by him. Even the serpent had a free will. Even the serpent had a free will. But he had chose to allow the enemy to use him to speak to God's creation. Now, what, what hurt does is it does what it happened. We were created in the image of God, and therefore we have been returning the favor to God all of our lives. We have now created a God according to our image. By that I mean according to our pain, according to our brokenness, according to the wounds and all the things that's happened to us. Therefore, we have created, created a false mythological God that is not the God of the Bible, but it's the God that we've come up with. He's a God that's cruel, vindictive. He's more like the Godfather than Father God. He will break people's legs and put them in a the hospital to save them. I was in a church a few weeks ago where, you know, the guy was preaching and he said that, that he had a four-wheeler accident and broke every bone in his body. That's what he said. And he said that God did that to him. And the people in that church I was visiting in another state, they were going, amen. And I was going, oh, no. Because he said that God didn't do it. And then he, he kind of clarified. He said, now, listen, God didn't do it to me. God did it for me. Won't you just break, get one of your kids and break their leg, and when the law gets there, say, I didn't do it to them. I, I did it for them. You finna be on the hood of the car. And yet, that's the kind of ridiculousness that we accuse God. Well, you people say, God, give me cancer to teach me. God, give me this disease. God, give me that disease. God, put me in the hospital. God, God, you know, God sent floods to Houston, drowned a few people to get people's attention. God sent Katrina to New Orleans because they got strip clubs down there, and he wanted to drown some strippers. The devil can't even believe people are that stupid to believe those accusations against God. God ain't behind. God didn't send Katrina nowhere. If storms are from God and God controls all the weather, then why, when Jesus walked the earth, did he rebuke storms? Why did he point his finger at storms and rebuke them and commanded them to cease? Because the prince and the power of the air. Satan's called the God of this world. Well, how'd that happen? It happened in the garden. The Bible says in Psalm 119, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he gave to the sons of men. And when the sons of men had earth, Adam, he gave it to Satan, the authority, the power. Jesus come to take it back. Now, hurt does weird stuff to us and, and really awful things. And I've and I'm, I'm, I got I to wind this up. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you a little illustration. It is a true illustration. And I'm clarifying, I personally do not know the person that I'm going to give illustration about. I'm going to change the names. But it is true, and I, I read that it was true, and I believe the, the author. 
And I'm trying to give you an illustration of what hurt did. Now, what that hurt did in the garden is Adam and Eve projected their pain, their brokenness, and they begin to view God now in a different light than he was the day before they sinned. And it's not that God changed, but they changed. Their view of God changed. Now, you've got to keep this in mind. The word repent is the Greek word metanoia. It means to change your thinking. Repent does not run to the altar, fall over it, use up all the tissues, tell God what a sorry sinner you are. That's not what it means. That's why the church has made it come out to me. It don't mean that. The church, they'll stand and preach pulpits all over that all day and say repentance means uh, to turn about face. It does not mean that. Metanoia does not mean turn about face. It's change your thinking. So every time you see the word repent in the New Testament, Jesus is saying, if you're going to enter into my world and, and see my life, you've got to change the way you're thinking. You got, you got, you, 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 your thinking is messed up. You, sin and pain and hurt has, has screwed up the way you see me. I'm not that God. So it changed their view of God. Now here is a, a, a guy, we're going to call him Tom. And he's six years old. And this is true. And his uncle gave him a black and white collie dog when he was six. Man, that kid loved that dog. And that dog loved him. Collies were very loyal. And man, they just hit it off. And that dog was, it just loved him. And in fact, the dog slept in the boy's room every night, laid right by his bed. And every night as a ritual, that little six-year-old boy would reach down and pet the dog, pet his ears, and he would go to sleep in the presence of that dog, knowing that his dog, and he named him Charlie. The boy's name's Tom. He named his dog Charlie, and he loved the dog. And they just did everything. You know, born in his dog, man, they just, he just loved it. When Charlie was almost 12, uh, I mean, when Tom was almost 12, Charlie, his collie dog, died. Uh, it didn't say why, what happened to him, but he, but he died. And, of course, Tom was heartbroken, and even as a 12-year-old, uh, he, he toted his dog to the backfield, got a shovel, dug a, a hole, a grave, and he buried Charlie, he covered it, took him some sticks, and tied him, and made him a cross, and stuck it in the ground, and he was just devastated. It ripped a hole in his heart. Now, at the house is his mom and his dad. There was another aunt and uncle, not the one that gave him the dog, and there was some other people over visiting his parents. Now, Charlie, I mean, was buried now. Tom goes up on the back porch, and he's just standing there with tears streaming and uh, just, just standing there broken, and nobody came out. They knew the dog was dead. They didn't come out. They didn't help him bury him. They didn't say, we're going to get you another dog. They didn't say, you know, they could at least give, kind of give him some hope, man. They said, well, in the Bible, in the book of Revelation now in heaven, we see horses. So if there's horses there, it's logical that there also might could be dogs there. And maybe you'll get to see Charlie again or something, you know. Which, by the way, I personally believe I'm going to get every pet I ever loved. I'm going to be, I'm going to have them with me in heaven. But y'all do what y'all want, and I'll do what I, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm getting them all back. Because I have, I have done that. I've felt that hurt of burying a dog. Man, when I was a grown man, I tried to raise one of my bulldogs from the dead. And I was serious. Because I, I didn't have no audience. Kids come over to visit my kids, and one of them was leaving, and he, he ran over my dog, man. I, I love that dog. The dog's name was Sugar. How can you not love a dog? That's how sweet he was. Called it a white bulldog. It broke our heart. Just, we all crying. Wife's crying, daughter's crying. And that dog did everything to me. He rode the golf cart with me. He did, did, did everything to me. Fish with me. Man, that hurt. I was a grown man, that hurt. But a 12-year-old's going through this. And he, he doesn't get told anything. He, he, he just, it's just a, a hurt. And, and this is what he said, because he wrote this. He said, it was on that day, standing on that porch, back porch of my home, that I realized I was unimportant. My feelings didn't matter. I was of no value. I was not important, and my pain didn't matter. Now, we had all, in char uh, Tom, even before, even as a 12-year-old, he'd heard that voice whisper to him, you don't, you don't matter, you don't count, you're of no value, you're no good. 
but was able to live and deflect all those suggestions away. But on this day, with that hurt in place, it no longer became a suggestion. It became Tom's conclusion by itself. And that conclusion made him come to a belief that I am not valuable. No more. I'm not important. I'm of no value. I don't count. This is true. And, and so this is what Tom said unconsciously he did. He began now to view the world through this unconscious lens of his hurt. And he viewed himself. It changed his self-image. It changed his self-value. It changed how he saw God, how he saw other around him, and how he saw himself. And what he would do, he said, for the next 30 years, he would spend his life trying to prove to people that I am valuable and I am important. And it would be no surprise to you that he became a workaholic. He began to work endlessly, and he was going to prove to everybody that I'm valuable. But deep down, he never got that affirmation that he really was trying to get. Because all of his relationships were thimble deep. He wouldn't allow anybody to the back room of his hurt. Now, I could easily see how a person would take a different road with hurt like that. I could see how that instead of being a workaholic, they become an alcoholic. They're trying to drown their pain. They're trying to medicate. They're trying to just not deal with it. So there's a lot of ways that hurt affects us. I know of another young girl that her dad was always present. He provided greatly for her family. Uh, but, but he, when he got home, he felt like because he worked so hard and provided so well, that he was really not engaged. And he demanded high standards. And, and she, uh, you know, this daughter, she was the only child, and, and he demanded just perfection from her. And, and it was so hard for her to achieve that, and I mean specifically in grades at school and so forth. And her being a very young girl, and, and she too around the age of, of uh, eight, nine years old, she went to the, she was awaiting the, in those days they would mail the report card to the house. Anybody remember that? So she went out of the mail and there's her report card and she frantically opens it and it's all A's. Her dad's home, he's in there reading the paper, sitting at the table, drinking his coffee, reading the paper and, and he's come in from work and, and he's got the paper and she runs in the house and she's finally, it's the first time she's ever made all A's because he was always, no matter if she made a B, he told her you could do better. You study harder. Now she runs in, and this is a true story. She hollers, and Daddy, Daddy, I'm, it's all A's. He never put down the paper, she said. He never looked up from the paper. He said, that's what you should have made. She was heartbroken. He never took the paper from his face. And he said, yeah, that's what you should have made. You didn't do anything great. It's expected of you. That hurt that day, she said, redialed her heart. Her self-image changed. She was going to make people like her. She decided she was going to be nice. She's going to work hard. And she did all those things, but yet deep down again, she never allowed anybody into that pain. And I'll tell you, just like I told you all last Sunday at the end, when I was 14, and I, and I won't go back over that, but I had hurt, and what it did is it left a tragic trail of broken relationships up until when, and even including when I met my wife. Because that hurt that happened to me when I was a 14-year-old boy, 15-year-old boy. That hurt opened me up, and it changed my self-image. It changed how I viewed women, and I never trusted one ever again. And I didn't even know it that I was doing that. It wasn't a conscious decision. It was an unconscious lens by which I saw all girls. And therefore, every relationship I ever had up and including my wife, I, I destroyed it. I would sabotage it. I would break it. I felt like I need to cheat on them if I get a chance because eventually they're going to cheat on me anyway. Just like that girl did when I was 14. No matter what they tell you, you can't count on it. You 
can't trust them, can't believe in it. And that hurt rewired my heart. And I wrecked everything I ever touched as far as a relationship. And I'm not proud of it. It was just something that I didn't see. But that hurt. And let me tell you something. All of us, all of us, has, all of us have exit wounds. And by that I mean that when we, none of us get out of childhood without exiting. And when we exit childhood, we come out of childhood with wounds. And I don't mean that they were intentionally put upon us, but we are wounded. We, we are wounded by things that, that, that happened to us or that were said to us. And that's Satan's desire to, to open up a wound in your heart that will change, you know, your, your self-image and who you think you are and, 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 and the value that you are. And then you project that hurt and that brokenness and that woundedness onto this, this God. And you view him through the lens of your, your hurt and, and all that pain and, and, and you think he's somehow behind it and that voice still whispers, you're naked. The voice is the one that told them to do it. Now that they've done it, the voice comes to this grinding. You're naked. You're no value. You're no use. Do something to get right with God. So what does Adam and Eve do? They sow fig leaves. How stupid is that? How stupid is your religion? It's just fig leaves. It's going to blow away. It's temporary. It's not going to get you to make God love you because God loved you before you did it and he loves you after you did it. He loves you the same. It, it, listen, your sin did not change God. It changed you. It changed your view of God. And that voice is still whispering, you're naked. That's why God said, who told you that? Who told you you have no value? Who told you that I don't love you? Who told you you're not important? Who told you that I don't care? Who told you that? That's what hurt does to us. Well, how are we going to get out of that? How do we ever go on with our lives? Again, repent. And repent's not confessing your sin. God already took care of your sin problem. Just stop talking about it. Stop Focusing and majoring on that that God's already removed. He took away your, you mean he took away, that's why he don't mention it when in the Bible, when people are getting saved, he don't mention sin because it ain't an issue with him. It's not a barrier. I'm not saying that God wants you to sin and you can sin willy-nilly. Put me on record as saying, hey guys, I encourage you not to sin. Because it will hurt you and people that love you and it will hurt them. Don't do it. Because it brings pain. But it doesn't change the way God sees you. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us and died on the cross. God doesn't love you anymore because you've got a Bible in your lap and say hallelujah with your tongue. He, when you cursed his name and, 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 and did three lines of coconut and, and cussed everybody else, God loved you the same then as he does now you in church loving him. Loves you the same. You, you can't do anything to improve God's position of love towards you. God can't help himself. He loves you. And, and God's love for you is not based on your performance. And it doesn't fluctuate. People, I mean, people raise me on them lies. Well, you're saying God's turned his back on you. Now God's pouting. He's not going to listen to any of your prayers no more because you've sinned. And that's why you're going through trouble and why your bills is piling up and that's because, you know, God ain't listening to you no more. And if you beg just right and confess it ten times and mean it and be sincere now, then God will turn his face and smile back upon you again. Oh, you sinned again? And so this is our view of God. Confessing sin like that just makes you dizzy. God does not sit in a swivel chair and spin around just religion, man. God is constant, consistent, and the same yesterday, today, and forever, and changes not. God's character does never, has never changed. And before the law come, you see God in the old. God's always been grace God. God didn't turn into a grace God when Jesus showed up. God's all Adam. I mean, you see, I mean, so here Adam and Eve, they have sons, right? Cain, Abel. Remember what, remember what Cain did to Abel? What did he do to him? 
He killed him, murdered him. Did God show up and talk to Cain? Yeah. God didn't, God didn't rough him up. God didn't say, I'm going to kill you, man, because you killed your brother. God just sat down and talked with him. He's talking to a murderer. God says, where's your brother? He said, man, am I my brother's keeper? He said, what, what have you done? He said, his blood cries out to me from the ground. Cain just, God says, because you've done this, God wasn't doing it to him. He said, you've caused this curse. God never, nowhere in the Bible ever has cursed humanity. The ground is cursed because of what man did. Because man was in charge of the ground. He was given the earth. Everything that creeps on it. God, man, Adam was an authority. Cain, Cain says that I'm, people's going to kill me now when they hear what I did to my brother. They're going to kill me. What does God do to response to that? Well, you should have thought of that before you killed your brother. Well, that's what you get. Eye for an eye. You better hope I kill you right now. None of that. Why didn't God just go ahead and kill him? If that's the God that they got, that's what people say God is. Why didn't he say, you kill your brother? Yeah. There you go. Anybody else want to kill somebody right here? That's not God. Cain says to God, I'm afraid people are going to kill me. God said, I'm going to put a mark on you that will keep that from happening. Does that sound vindictive? Does that sound punishing? Was God happy because he killed his brother? No. Huh. But God's not the God that he's accused of. Abraham sins, lies, that's not my wife, that's my sister. He lets a Pharaoh take her to the harem. He knows what's going to happen to her. He says, Sarah, just let that guy take you because if, if I don't, he finds out you're really my wife, he'll kill me. So I'd rather you, you know, have to serve him sexually than for me to get killed. So peace out, baby girl. Go to the harem. Y'all don't like it, but it's in the book. So he pimps out his wife to save his own hide. How many women want a husband like that? You know what I'm saying? Anybody want to sign up for him? That's Abraham. That's Abraham. So he not only did that once, he did it twice. Each time when God comes to him after that, God never mentions his sin at all. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't mention it. He never says to Abraham, man, you shouldn't have done that. That's wrong to pimp your wife out and lie like that. He never mentions it. He always calls him back to his destiny, to his purpose. Isaac done the same lie. Told the same lie. Where did he learn to lie? Watching daddy. Daddy tell a lie. Isaac told the exact same line. That's not my wife. That's my sister. God never mentions it to him. Now their third generation comes along, and this is a whole bunch of liars. Now we got Jacob. His whole name means heel grabber, swindler, deceiver. He lies. Jacob, if Jacob's lips is moving, he's lying. He lies to everybody. He lies so much that he steals his brother's birthright. His brother says to Jacob, as soon as uh, his, his daddy dies, mark the calendar, dude. I'm going to hunt you down and kill you. As soon as daddy dies. I'm not going to kill you for then because I'm not going to put that on him. But notice, as soon as he breathes his last, you can look over your shoulder, Hoss, because I'm coming. And he did it. He was coming for him. So Jacob's on the run. He's living in the wilderness. He lays down, and he's using a rock, it says, for a pillow. I don't know if you ever had to sleep on a rock, but it ain't like a pillow you bought at the mattress store. It's a hard, what, what's, why don't we care? Listen, hard times. Things are not normal. It's a tough time. Sometimes your pillow becomes a rock. He's laying there, on, and the Lord appears to him in a dream, and he shows him a ladder, and he sees angels ascending and descending, and he wakes up from his dream. He said, you know what? The Lord's right here, and I didn't even know it. God wouldn't leave him. God's with him in all of his mess. And then the Lord appears. Jesus Christ in the form, the, uh, it's, it's the word, it's God, because he worships and he receives it. But, so he, he wrestles, it says, with an angel until the breaking of day. And, 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 and we know it was the pre-incarnated appearance of Jesus because 
he received worship and no angel, no angel would receive worship from man. They were rebuke a man. It was the Lord. And the Lord looks and he's wrestling with him. That's an intimate contact. And they're, they're wrestling and, and we don't understand the symbolism, but they're wrestling. And, 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 and God says to him, Jesus says to, to Jacob, he, he says, let me go for the day breaks. In other words, what he's saying is, why don't you just turn me loose and get mad at me like you've always done all your life and turn me loose. But I want to tell you, you're right close to your breakthrough here. But go ahead and turn me loose because that's what you always do. When you hurt, you run, and you, you turn me loose. You throw, you throw the Bible in the trash can. You, you're done with me. Why don't you turn me loose like you always done? It wasn't, it wasn't an arrogant. It was like, it was, turn me loose. And, and, and this is what Jacob says this time. I will not let you go till you bless me. What he means by that is don't give me a goosebump. I won't let you go until you change my character. Change me. I'm sick of being who I am. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this, man. I'm tired of this. He said, I won't let you go this time now until you bless me. And the Bible says that, and we don't understand this, but it, it, he, 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 that angel caused his hip to be dislocated. I was a paramedic for 20 years. I've seen people, some of the most painful things of people is when they were shoulder dislocated, their hip dislocated. Man, I'd be calling in and say, please let me give them some morphine, you know, because they're hurting. So he's in that pain, yet he holds on. He won't turn God loose. Because Listen, and, and, and then the Lord looks at him and says, what is your name? In other words, what's your identity? Who are you? He said, my name is Jacob. And, and remember, Jacob means swindler. God says, that's not, that's not your name. That's not who I made you to be, son. From this moment forward, you shall be called Israel. And there's a whole nation named that today. It means one who's overcome those things that sin tried to do. He says, from now on, I call you Israel. God says that I'm the God of Israel now. I'm the God of Israel. God changed his name. Now, the Bible says that Jacob had his wives and his children, and they were waiting for daddy to come back home because his brother was on the march to kill him. His dad had died. And they didn't know if they'd ever see their daddy again. And I always picture, and it says that they were waiting at the brook, at the ford of the river. And here come, they see this man coming. And I can imagine the kids saying, Mama, is that daddy coming? And they see a man that's doing this. He's got a limp. She said, it don't, he's walking funny. It don't look like your daddy. And they holler, Jacob! And he don't answer. Because he ain't Jacob no more. He has lived his life up to that point, deceiving and being deceived. You don't, and, and he comes and he walks up and they said, it is daddy. And she says, why didn't you answer when I hollered Jacob? He said, that's not my name no more. I've encountered God. <laughs> my name is Israel. She says, you walk different. That's the symbolism. When you really meet Jesus, you will walk different. You will live different. You will see everything differently. Now, now let me end with this. Repentance causes you. When you hear the, the good, the Bible says this. Listen now, I'm done. The goodness of God is what leads men to repent. It is God's goodness, not you dangling people over hell, threatening them. Turn or burn, none of that. It is God's goodness that becomes re revealed to a person when they see how good he is because he loves them no matter their condition and he's already forgiven all their sin. Don't matter if they didn't ask for it. God don't need your permission to forgive you. He already took care of it. Now you can live and not enjoy the benefit of it, but you don't have to do anything to coerce God into forgive you. He already did. Tough. You can't do nothing about it. You're forgiven. Now what grace is, is what are you going to do about it now? Because God's forgiveness and his love for you calls your heart to respond to that in some way. You're telling me you're not going to respond to that? He loves you. He's forgiven you. Come on, man. You know what that calls you to do? I'm going to change my mind about him now. Because all these lies I was told her, you change your thinking. Listen, it's God's goodness that does that. Now listen, when you repent, when you truly change how you think about God, 
First thing you do is you stop projecting your pain and brokenness and trauma on God. and You begin to see the God of the Bible, not the God of religion. When you do that, then your self-image of you and how you view yourself will change radically in light of God's love for you. And once you see yourself differently, guess what? You see all other people differently. And that's what is called your eyes being opened and the darkness leaving. And you see this God. Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father except by me. And Jesus says, no one knows the Father except the Son. And if you're going to know the Father, see, if eternal life is knowing the Father, then eternal death is not knowing the Father. It's not about going to heaven and getting a mansion, walking streets of gold. It's about going home to Papa and seeing the Father's face and experiencing his love and forgiveness that he has for every human on this planet. For he is not willing that any should perish, but that they all should come to repentance. All should come to change their way of thinking about him, themselves, and, and the world. Stand to your feet. Thank you. Thank you for being so patient. Hallelujah. Love you guys. I'm going to dismiss you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, God loves you. Receive that love. If you're not born again, it's easy. Believe on him. See how easy that was? Just believe on him. Thou shalt be saved. I'm going to be down here. I'd be an honor to meet you, pray with you. I got other elders that'll be you know, here watching, praying with me. But we love you guys. We're going to dismiss the church. Invite somebody this week, man. Let's feel, y'all make my, make my deacons have to go dig chairs out the back rooms. Okay? Go enjoy your Sunday. God bless you guys.